You're listening to Manx Radio, and I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to the podcast of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin. choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Well, it possibly is just a little chilly to be out in the deck chair at the present moment. So we're in the studio. Faster my good evening, Howard Parkin. Good evening, Faster my Judith. It's never too cold for a strong on a night like tonight. It's beautiful out there. Well, you are wearing a very, very thick pullover, oh, well, it has to be I've said. I've got a thick coat with me, because when I leave yeah. here, I'll be having a good look. Uh, yeah, and a woolly hat as well. Oh, yes, and well, the gloves. I feel a bit, I feel a bit overawed. I know I'm in the presence of a real serious <laughs> celebrity tonight. That's something that we will be talking about, that I'm so pleased that we'll be talking about Thank later you. in the programme, because, Howard, you have received... Um, rightly received a great honour and award that you will be going to London to collect very mm. shortly, won't you? This Saturday, yeah. Next Saturday. Well, we are so thrilled. We'll hear more about that later in the programme. Thank you. Let's get straight to business. Lovely dark skies. Beautiful. It's dark at four o'clock. Yes. So what, what are we looking at? Well, nothing could be more brilliant than the planets at the moment. We have got the best display of planets we've had for some time. Early this evening... Um, probably about half past four, five o'clock, you could not miss Venus in the sky. It was actually at its highest point in the sky from the horizon today, 28th of November. Really unbelievably bright, very, very easy to spot and a beautiful cold, clear night. And the wind's dropped. That's the thing that kills it, the wind chill factor. But when it's just cold, plenty of clothes, you're fine. But what made it so good was we had Venus low on the western horizon, or the southwest horizon. Just up from it, we had the brilliant Jupiter, not as bright, but quite easy to spot. And then not quite between them, more towards Jupiter than Venus, was the planet Saturn. So three of the major observable planets in our solar system, clearly visible in the Manx night sky, roughly in the same direction, Quite dramatic. I showed my next-door neighbour who was fascinated to see it. Well, I think he was anyway. And um, it's just a great night for doing it. And it gets better because as we get through the next few weeks, in particular when we get to the 6th of December, um, you're going to have Venus on the horizon, the moon between Venus and Saturn, and then Jupiter. You're going to have four of them in a row. This lovely line in the solar system that we see in the night sky, which is the ecliptic, where eclipses happen. And just thrown in for good measure, we've got a total eclipse of the sun taking place in Antarctica next weekend. But of course, we're not going to see it from the Isle of Man. Um, so it won't be visible. But when you get these special things in the sky, yes, the stars are special to us astronomers, but when you get the planets sort of joining forces to give us a display, it makes you realise how astronomy has been such an old subject for so many centuries. And people were in awe of the fact that these very bright objects seem to come and go almost at random. And it took many, many years for us to work out what caused that. And of course, the basic cause is the fact that the Earth's a planet going around the sun and we, we alternate our views of the planets depending where they are in the sky at the right at that particular time. Well, 
of course, this is this is absolutely right. And um, I'm, what I must just say before we go any further is welcome to our listeners on Medium Wave who have just joined us. And uh, you are listening to this month's edition of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkinham. Well, welcome with, with to this, you all. So we're all together now and uh, Manx Sky at Night talk until 10 o'clock. So, yes, so, so back to... There's no doubt about it. I mean, you you do tease about how you summer is all very well, but it's not very good for what you do. But when you start to describe the richness now of the sky, you can just mm. see that 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 there is so much, so much that that is there visible. Is. We just need to get a good clear night. That's the problem. We don't get enough clear nights. I mean, tonight is wonderful. Although I have to take Manx Radio to task, Judith. Park the car at the state of the car park here just before nine o'clock, whatever time it was. I came, couldn't see a thing. You've got terrible lighting up here. Oh, Don't get me going oh on dear. bad lighting. That's another subject. Oh, oh dear. Well, You're well, in trouble. Well, not you personally, you'd be glad to know. Oh, but that's a relief. Well, actually, we, we're not doing... We're doing quite well for the environment because in every single room in this building, the lights are human-sensitive. So the minute right. that we walk out of the studio, the light goes off. Well, that's good. That's that's a good start. And because Could it is so better, easy when say. you well, yes, I know. We can all we can all all of us no, do better. To be, to be quite honest with you, Judith, the only reason I mention it, and this is a, a lesson for listeners, you've got these bulkhead lights tied to the railings. And of course, bulkhead lights are great; they give a lot of light. But fifty percent of it is thrown straight upwards. All they need is shields on them. That's mm. all they need, and you don't use as much light. You don't need as many lights, so you're saving the environment, and you're, you're not lighting up the sky and blinding people when they're walking past. You're not just for astronomers as well. No, it, it's it's perfectly true um, because we've talked about this, about destroying your night vision. Mm. You know, if you get a, a, a really bright light from whatever source, it destroys... If you're just out walking, it destroys your yeah. night vision, makes it difficult, and so you know it, what, it's true. We we can, we all need to think about the bigger that, picture, you know, don't one we? one of the saddest stories, one of the saddest stories I can give you about light pollution, which we weren't meant to be talking about tonight, but... No. Baby turtles hatch on the beaches in places ah, like the Caribbean. Yes. Yeah. And they are guided to the sea by the moonlight on the water. Yes. They're distracted by lights from nearby resorts mm. and they wander across the roads and get killed mm. in the thousands mm. because their natural rhythms are dis- disturbed by artificial light. I've, I have heard mm. about this before. Sad and it's, story. And it is a shame. But it, it is stories like that that help us to focus, yeah. that remind us that we just have to look at a bigger picture and say when we're lighting up something mm. for safety. I mean, you're talking about the lights that, that we, the bulkhead lights, but we need them. The steps are really dangerous, oh, yeah. and people have fallen. We just paint the top you know. of them black. There you go. Kind of paint, paint the top of them like black where they shine up into the sky. No problem. Done. Mm, I'll but, come and do it for you. Well, right. It's it's a, it's a <laughs> right. come round, come round, folks, and see how it is. Paint pot. <laughs> paintbrush in my hand. Yeah, but that's what we need. We need to share the information, don't yeah, we? And it? say, well, you might consider doing this, or how about that? And well, that's it, how we make progress. Coincidentally, isn't it? I'm doing a thing for the. UNESCO Biosphere people in January. It's in the news. They've asked me to write an article about dark skies and all the rest. So I've done that. So that's why it's fresh in my mind. But but let's not get away from the, the fact that the sky, when there's no lights, and you can always get away from the lights. I mean, all I did when I came in, literally, was just put my hands up um, so my the eyes, the lights were shielded from my eyes. And I could see the summer triangle, which is still dominating our sky. That's the triangle of stars that's almost directly overhead. Um the planets, as I've already mentioned, and then rising in the eastern sky, we've got the wonderful display of the stars of winter. A bit early to talk about them now, but give it another month and we'll have this wonderful display of stars of Taurus, Gemini, Orion, 
all the very bright winter stars. And it's it's. But what always gets me, Judith, is when you first see Orion at four o'clock in the morning in late August, September, that tells you winter's on the way. Well, the other morning, when it was so cold, looked out my bedroom window, and there's Orion setting in the west. And there were the stars of spring, Leo, all rising in the sky, and indeed in the sky. So it tells you spring isn't that much far further away either. Now, actually, it isn't. I mean, we're, we're going to get to the shortest day, Absolutely. aren't we, in a matter of uh, just a few weeks? Absolutely, 21st of December. And after that... The days it's start getting longer. All the way then. Yeah. Or down, is it down the road? I don't know. It, it's, a, it's, it's, it's the right way anyway. It's, a, it's the <laughs> right way. It's the bright way, the shall we say. The right way, that's correct. Okay, so so what else? What else is going on? Well, the other great thing we've got, as well as the, I've already mentioned the winter star starting to appear, which you can spot on the eastern horizon, we've got the best meter shower of the year on the evening of the 13th and 14th of, of this month. Uh, sorry, December. Uh, it's a Monday and Tuesday, week on Monday, Tuesday, no, two weeks on Monday, Tuesday. And the Geminid shower is always one of the best because we've got long hours of darkness. Let's be honest, sun goes down at four o'clock, rises at, um, sorry, rises at eight o'clock in the morning, down at four o'clock. So we've only got eight hours of uh, daylight, if you like, um, or the sun's in the sky. So the Geminid meteor shower, this year in particular, with no moonlight to interfere, the moon is going to be f uh, new just before that. So we've got a great chance to see the, the Geminid meteor shower without moonlight interfering. And it is always, there's two meteor showers, I mentioned this repeatedly, and I'll no doubt do it again and again. There are two great meteor showers in the year, the Persids in August, when the skies are light, and the Geminids in December. And if you get either of them without a moon in the sky especially the Geminids because we've got more hours of darkness, You'll, I will guarantee you will see at least half a dozen meteors. If you go outside around midnight on the evening of the 13th and the 14th, look towards the eastern horizon and um, the constellation Orion will be up by then. That's the one with three stars and a line. We've talked about it many a time. But Gemini is to the left of Orion, but the radiant point is at the top of Gemini. So they will be streaming out from that location all over the sky, but trace back to that point and... I'm looking forward to it because I remember the Persids in 2015 was a moonlit, moonless night. And I saw about 40 in about half an hour. And I'm hoping the Geminis this year. The thing, fingers crossed for, the, the big unknown, of course, is the cloudiness. If we get clouds. And at the moment it's cold, but it's clear, so it's great. I saw a shooting star the other night. Well, did you wish on it? No, I was just so pleased to see it. <laughs> I've been making quite, just over this last week, making quite a few trips between Sulby and Peel. And I love the, the Peel Coast Road. Oh, it's beautiful, and isn't it? I, I just like it any time of the day. I love going towards Peel and the, and, the, and the vista there across the sea and St. Patrick's Island and everything. But, and I love coming back at, at night because, as you say, if it's a clear sky, you always get lovely light effects. Anyway, I'm, just was going only just kind of set off along along the coast road and this shooting star came down well that's what it looked like and i bet it came from ramsey towards peel yes it was a torrid it was a torrid meteor the torrid meteor shower peaks in every um november i was frantically looking up the exact dates of it but the torrid meteor shower always peaks in early november to about mid-november and they come from Taurus, which is next door to Gemini, practically. Yeah. So straight away when you said that, I thought, I bet you were going back to Ramsey. And it yes, was I was. In the sky. I was. There you go. You saw a torrid meteor. 
Meet. He, yeah. he wasn't, dear listener, he wasn't even there and he knew what it was. <laughs> that is so good. That's so good. Meteors, but, that, the thing about meteors, Judith, is people often wonder about them, why we see them at the same time each year. What's happening is the Earth is passing through a part of space where there's debris left over from a comet. And we intercept that point of the comet's orbit on our orbit of the Earth the same time every year. And what happens is the meteors appear to come from the same part of the sky, which just happens to have Taurus in it or Gemini or whatever constellation we're looking at. The stars of Taurus and Gemini and all the others are thousands and thousands of miles away. And the meteors are literally about 100, 200 miles up. But they always come from the same part of the sky. So we give them the name of the constellation they radiate from. I understand. So that's I why understand. We have the Taurids and the Geminids, both November, December time, which are um, prominent winter con- um, meteor showers. But there's no doubt about it. When you do see one of these special things, it does give you a real thrill, oh, isn't it? You get real buzz. Even I... now, I get a thrill. If I see a nice shooting star, I'm, I'm thrilled to see one. Yeah. Seeing the Venus tonight, just saw it glimpse there. Wow. So bright. It's actually at its brightest, um, Venus, on the 6th of December, but it is slowly dropping down towards the horizon. It isn't going to be around for Christmas. It's not going to be the star of Bethlehem for us this year, I'm afraid. But um, still worth looking for. But as well as all that, just to throw in something else into the mix, we've got the space station visible at the moment. The space station came into a visibility uh, period uh, a few days ago and is visible now right through to about the 8th of December. And I've just discovered a coincidence I'd never spotted before. If you want to see the space station for yourself, next Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday and the following Monday. So there's every other day it's visible at either quarter to six or quarter past seven, roughly. So five minutes each side of that. The other nights, the other nights in that sequence, so the Tuesday, the Thursday and the Saturday and tonight, of course, it's visible about five o'clock and at 6.30. You get it twice. And the fact that you're seeing it twice means it's gone right round the Earth in an hour and a half. And that's the phenomenal thing when you consider the size of the Earth and how long it takes to fly from here to Liverpool, never mind, <laughs> round the world. But they can do it in an hour and a half. And we get that at this time of the year, very early in the evening, because the sun has gone down. So you've got to have it when the space station is still lit by the sunlight and not in the shadow of the Earth. And um, so very early on, so great to show the children. But remember the, the times, quarter to six and quarter past quarter to six and quarter past seven from Monday onwards every other day and five o'clock and 6.30 from Tuesday every other day. And if you miss all that and don't realise what I'm saying to you, just look it up on the Heavens Above website and they'll tell you when you can see it. And it's well worth looking out for. It's almost as bright as Venus in the sky. You will not mistake it. And it always goes along the same path, which is roughly from west to east. But it is mind-boggling to think around the Earth... In 90 in a, minutes. In 90 yeah. minutes. I always remember doing my live talk with Nicole Stott all those years ago, back 2009 in the museum, and we picked her up off the coast of California and we finished talking to her when she was over the Indian Ocean. I remember thinking, wow, that's halfway around the world. Yeah, yeah well, I was talking to her for 45 minutes. That, half an orbit. Yes, and that. let's just ponder on that. As we have tonight's little bit of music from Enya. I doubt if we're going to play the whole of this track. I am so keen to talk about what's happening in space.
lovely little bit of reflective music there from Enya and Shepherd Moons. You are listening to this month's edition of The Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin. Now, in the second part of the programme, we generally talk about things that are space-related. And this month, no exception, we'll be talking about the DART mission that's been very much in the news over the last few days and also an update on the Webb Telescope, something that we've been talking about. But before we do all that, two things, three things, actually, that I'd like to talk about, please, Howard. First of all, um, this is the the speaking season, isn't it? You it think, is very much so. You gave a talk in Laxey this week did, that was very well received. I and I believe so. you're going to be in St Peter's Church in Onkin soon. Yes, Tell I'm us doing about... a talk in St Peter's this next Friday, uh, the 3rd of December at 7 o'clock. And I've actually done something that I've not done for a long, long time. I'm making it a fun lecture. I'm talking about the boring title is The Heritage of the Heavens, which is something I did years ago about the stuff that's related to the Isle of Man, about the... The, the, the Cistercian monks at Rushen Abbey and all that sort of stuff. But I've got quite a few funny little anecdotes to throw in. You may have heard of it, Judith, maybe not. Have you ever heard of the Craigniche Apollo mission? Funnily enough, I have. Ah. I wasn't actually there, but I heard about it. you heard of Well, it's very, very important. The Isle of Man space effort to get to the moon. Yeah. Skippered by Crajean well, and his crew, Kelly from Peel. Yes. And Crajean, Peg yeah. Kelly... And, and Looney, and Tom Looney, that was it. They were the crew. Yes. And they launched from Craigniche. Yeah. All will be revealed on Friday. My lips are sealed. I'm not giving <laughs> anything away. I know about it, but I'm not giving anything away. But I've got that story. I've got some other stories, which I, I loosely connect to Manx there. I've got a Reliant Robin that's going into space, which people may have heard of. Well, what's that got to do with the Isle of Man? It's got free wheels, therefore it's Manx. I believe mm. me, I use the slightest connection. Yeah, I can tell. It, it, I can it, feel. It, yes, it's a serious lecture, but I've got quite a bit of fun in it because it's the time of the year when we have a bit of fun. It's a fundraiser for Saint Peter's, uh, like the one at Laxey was for Christchurch at Laxey, and I, I love doing these talks because you get a good audience and they're usually very interested. They get some great questions, or not, as the case may be. Um, so if you're interested. Do come along to St. Peter's at 7 o'clock next Friday. And it's it's not a ticket thing. You can just it go is along. T- it is ticketed. Yes, but I mean, you don't need tickets in advance. There's no, plenty of space If we in had St. more Peter's. than 150 turn up, we'd be struggling. Yes. Um, but um, I don't think that'll happen. But if you're interested, please just get in touch and ring the church office and let them know you want to come along or just turn up on the night. You'll be fine. Just turn up on the night. Friday night, 7 o'clock. Friday night, 7 o'clock, St. Peter's um, Church. Bit, bit of fun. with. It will be fun. And there's, and there's wine and nibbles. Very nice. And too. Ticket, tickets are a fiver to come. Right. It's all, all the proceeds go to the church. Okay, that's great. Hope you have a great night, Howard. Now, come on. I touched on this at the start of the programme. <laughs> your, 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 the contribution that you've made to making astronomy accessible has been rewarded. Yeah. Tell basically. us more about that, please. It was out of the blue. I was across at the time and I got this email from the British Astronomical Association, which was established many, many years ago. Actually, there's a Manx connection to that, but I won't talk about that now. And uh, I got this letter from them to say I'd been nominated for this award, the Sir Patrick Moore Award. Now, and the reason I got it was for um, my work in astronomy uh, with youngsters and education and outreach. That was the basic reason why I got it. And I was flabbergasted, I think is the expression, because I didn't expect it. And uh, somebody nominated me for it who's made me swear not to use their name, but you've met her. Sorry, Angela. <laughs> and um, she nominated me for it. And I was just completely out of the blue. And uh, I was so pleased because it's when you get recognition from your peers, people who do the same thing as you, I think it's you're appreciated more. And uh, I was just 
over the, overjoyed and delighted. And um, I'm going down to London to collect it next Saturday. Um, we're flying down to London, my wife and I, next Saturday morning, uh, COVID permitting. And um, I'm going to the BAA um, award meeting, uh, Christmas meeting, and it'll be presented by the president of the BAA, and uh, David Ardetti, his name is. And uh, I don't know who, who's going to be there. I understand it's quite a big meeting. And um, I'm really looking forward to it. But what makes it particularly nice was Sir Patrick Moore was a very good friend of the Alabama Astronomical Society. We met him on more than one occasion. He was a real gentleman, a real enthusiast. I mean, I'd like to think that his enthusiasm uh, gave birth to my enthusiasm. And uh, to win an award for the patron, he was the patron of our Alman Astronomical Society. And I could tell you stories about Patrick Moore when he came here. He, he took, think about, I moaned about lights. You should have heard him when he saw the lights at the bottom of Richmond Hill. It was incredible. And sadly he died in 2012, but they announced this award the year after. And it's been awarded every year since. And to be the eighth recipient of it, it's a joint this year. It's been awarded to, to a couple of people. Um, but to be the joint winner of the Sir Patrick Moore Award was very humbling and uh, I'm really pleased to have got it. Well, warmest congratulations dear well, Howard. You. Have a lovely weekend I'm receiving sure we that in, in London. Now we have got exactly four and a half minutes and right. we've got two topics to talk about. We have. The, the Webb Telescope what's the latest on that? The Webb Telescope is the successor to the Hubble Space Telescope which incidentally has just been fixed again. It's had a problem, they managed to fix it but the Webb Telescope is the successor to that. Huge, massive instrument. Very, very high tech. Very, very complicated um, deployment sequence and um, its launch was scheduled for the 18th of December it's been put back four days because of a problem at the launch pad in French Guiana and it will be launched on the 22nd of December and I understand that has now been firmed as at the moment that is a firm date it will take 14 days to get to its proper location and to deploy fully and you think they were panicking about the Hubble Space Telescope in 1990 this one is even more complicated and fingers and everything else crossed it deploys as well as expected or as hoped for because this is going to really revolution our views of the universe in a way that Hubble did um, but even more so because it's much much bigger uh, if you I can't remember the exact diameter of the mirror but the mirror on the Hubble will say is I think it's nearly 100 inches and this this thing is about 900 or 1,000 inches. It's absolutely huge. It's so big it's been folded into segments, 16 hexagonal segments which are all folded together and they'll all deploy um, through the mechanics of uh, the spacecraft and it's, as I say, fingers crossed it works successfully. Amazing technology oh, that absolutely. makes that possible. Well, hopefully in the December edition of this programme you'll be able to tell us if, it's, so. if it got if it's on its way. It'll be in the way. process of being deployed by Oh then. yes, it, it won't. won't, it won't uh, no. Listening to what you're saying, it won't be there, but no, hopefully it'll be safely on main, its way. The main bits will be done by then, but yeah. um, it's getting it to its location in space. It's going to what they call the Lagrange point, which is what they call a gravitationally stable position um, where it won't need fuel to maintain its position which saves carrying rockets and fuel and all the rest. So you can spend more money and more payload on uh, equipment and um, instruments. I understand. Right, OK, we're down to two and a half minutes on this DART mission. Now, this this was it dominated the news it this did. week, didn't it? Wrongly and so. It wrongly dominated the news, Judith, because it is a test mission. It is not trying to save the planet. That's where I think the media got hold of it and exaggerated it totally. This has been on the drawing board for many years. We know that there is a possibility of objects coming in from space and causing damage to the Earth. We saw it at Chelyabinsk in 2015. The dinosaurs certainly uh, got one 
65 million years ago. So if we know of a problem, we need to do something about it. And this mission is very much a test mission. It's orbiting to a, a, a little asteroid called Didymos. I'm sure you've all heard the news. And basically, the spacecraft is going to fling itself directly into a moon of Didymos called Didymorphos. And they want to see if the kinetic energy of the spacecraft can deflect the moon a tiny, tiny bit. If it can, using the science and the, the, all, the, all that sort of stuff and the physics of it, what mass object needs to hit what object at what speed to deflect it? And once they've worked that out, there's a little tiny Italian CubeSat, they call it, being ejected from the spacecraft just before it hits Didymorphos. And that's going to measure the exact orbit of this little tiny moonlet, which is roughly the size of uh, probably this room. Imagine this room as a big rock, which that doesn't help the listeners, does it? Say about a um, um, 15-foot cube, a 15-foot-sided uh, cube. Um, so it's not particularly big. So flinging a spacecraft at it um, at a huge speed, does that impact the, the, the object enough to deflect it? And if it does, then we can scale that up and see and maybe build a planetary defence system which could deflect an ongoing asteroid. Now, there's been criticism about it for being irresponsible, for wasting energy and all the rest. And this really vexes me because all the money we spend on space, how many people tell us now, I'm, sorry, I'm deflecting the subject a bit, but how many people say, oh, we shouldn't go into space, uh, we should use green energy, we should be using solar panels. Where do you think solar panels were invented for? They were invented for the space industry. And no satellite goes into orbit um, that wastes money because they provide jobs, employment and all the rest. And I've mentioned this before. And the DART mission, I think, straight on the back of the COP26 conference, I think, just hit a nerve with some people. But they don't realise how important this could be. And indeed, it's so important that the, the, the asteroids um, orbit, there's a European spacecraft going to be launched in a couple of years' time, which is actually going to measure it to a high degree of precision. It wasn't ready to go now. doesn't matter because they know the orbit from other instruments. This is going to measure it to a high degree of precision. So once they've done it once, then they can scale it up and maybe we can have a planetary defence system. But as you say, a, a little bit of um, media hype. I was oh, listening to a lot of the coverage on national radio and people were very keen to, to get negative views yes, and say that this so. was doing harm. And, no, no harm whatsoever. And, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a potential um could save millions of lives. I mean, Chelyabinsk was an eye-opener. In 2013, this meteor exploded over Russia and there was dozens of people injured by flying glass. Nobody was killed, thankfully. But that was so unexpected. Um, and was not seen. The problem with these objects is they're very small, but um, you don't get much warning. Uh, so you need to have something ready. You can't say, oh dear, there's something coming at us. It's going to hit us in five days. It's too late to organise something. But if you did have a missile defence system, there's been talk of putting one of these on the moon, for instance. That's a perfect place to launch one from. Um, so lots of science behind it, but a little bit of media hype, I'm afraid, which was uh, not particularly positive, I think, what I'd say. And also, we need to keep in mind that all this space exploration, development, research work, all informs what we do on Earth. Yeah. The technology can be used Absolutely. here. Absolutely. So it, it does have a benefit yeah. for the likes of us who might never get into space yeah, in our lifetime. Deforestation of the Amazon. That was first spotted and discussed after lots of spacecraft images came around, saw the smoke from the Amazon, and they realised the extent of the problem. And now, that is one of the things they signed up to, wasn't it? And that came about from space-borne observations. Howard, as always, a great pleasure 
to talk to you. Always something to learn. Thank you very much indeed for joining us, Howard Parkin, for my this pleasure. month's edition of The Manx Sky at Night. After this programme finishes, my programme finishes in the early hours of tomorrow morning, we will make this available to you as a podcast via manxradio.com and Howard back on the final Sunday of December. We look forward to that. Indeed. Thanks, Judith. Faster, my Howard. Thank you, Faster, my.